When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life is a canvas. Listen as Dr. Allison R. Tendler and her guests paint the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders on her podcast, The Art of Seeing Clearly. Through insightful questions and thought-provoking conversation, Allison and her guests explore the essence of what it means to truly experience life, business, entrepreneurship, love, success, and even failure through a clearer lens. I'm your host, Dr. Allison R. Tendler, board-certified ophthalmologist, surgeon, owner, and CEO of Art Vision and Artisan Skin and Laser Center. I literally get to work every day to help people see better on the 2020 eye chart. But true clarity in life and in business often requires a slightly different kind of vision. I happen to have a passion for learning how other entrepreneurs and leaders find their clarity, and I want to share with you some of their secrets to success. Chantelle Krebs has devoted her entire career to serving her community and country, inspiring teams to greatness and optimizing business processes to move the needle for nonprofits, government agencies, and businesses. Everything she does is geared toward empowering and inspiring people and sparking action. She's well known for her community involvement and impact. From being a state representative and then secretary of state to CEO of Miss America, she works diligently to make this world a better place and acts always on the behalf of others. She's known for experimenting with progressive ideas, moving forward, shifting mindsets, maximizing talent, and empowering cultural transformation. She truly thrives on partnerships, loves big challenges, asks the tough questions, and really takes some intelligent business risks. Chantelle is respected for modeling the way, challenging the status quo, and enabling people and teams to achieve their potential and unprecedented results. Chantelle, welcome to the art of seeing clearly. So, and we've done like 10 million of these, yeah. and this is like, I'm like so novice. No, novice. You're like, like it was oh, my, you're like, oh my God, like all the interviews I've done in my whole life, and I'm going to sit and talk with Dr. Tendler. <laughs> no, this is fun. This is fun. <laughs> hey, those other ones can be intense, you know, you, your body language, your everything. Mm-hmm. When you're on TV, it's a whole different story, but uh, this is fun. This is kind of nice. Oh, I was looking back and so glad you as Secretary of State, I think I did thirteen hundred and forty-seven interviews. Thirteen hundred and forty-seven. Yeah, oh, in four years, because and that's including all the radios, yes. you know. And then yes. you do a press announcement that goes out, and you you, know, you get fifteen people. Do you feel like when you? I mean, why so start in with that? Like, yeah. do you feel like you? wherever telling new things, how do you stay excited when you're giving kind of the same information, get asked a lot of the same questions? How do you keep that excitement up? You know, actually it was the audience that kept us engaged or excited. So you always had to think who's your target audience? What message do they want? And remembering that they're there hearing it for the first time or whether it be on TV or a radio announcement, you know, hey, it's the first day to vote. Don't forget to go out and vote. Are you registered to vote? Whatever that message was. 
um, is just reminding myself that this is an important announcement as a public official. That's my role is to make sure that people are engaged and are informed. And I always say, I always have a good saying that it's, uh, it's the sometimes the misinformed educating the uninformed, and then you have an issue. So then you have a huge communication right. issue. So we don't want misinformation out there and educating or communicating to the uninformed. So we want to make sure we have accurate information out. And I think that goes in anything in your life, whether it be with your relationships, is accurate, is it factual? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it so engaging? Are you being upfront? Are you providing the information that they need to know, or is it too much or too little? <laughs> I suppose you could take that, you know, that's in the, that was in the um, kind of the governmental community realm. But as you look at either a business owner or I'm a medical provider slash business owner as well, it's like, it is that communication. You could ask the same thing of me. Someone's going to come in for a cataract evaluation or something. How do you keep that same excitement day after day or year after year to help these people get excited but you're right it's like the first time that they've been hearing it and you want them to have as much information and be factual that's an interesting and sometimes we got to put our own flavor spin on it so dr mm-hmm. tendler create that flavor that you have you know your yes. your grace and elegance it's just you and remember that that person is here to see you because they may know you or want to get to know you it's a relationship too mm-hmm. uh, for in business i think that's mm-hmm. a good reminder that whether you being a physician sharing important safety information um, or if you're a business owner um, letting them know why it's important that they are uh, utilizing their product that you've chosen from their store or from their business or why they're you're utilizing their services so it's just making sure that they are are picking it because of probably you that they've mm-hmm. chosen to come to you mm-hmm. dr tendler because of trust um I, I always had a couple of people tell me when you're in politics you know are you relatable are you likable you know, and those are those two words that really mm-hmm. resonate. I think it that applies to anything in life. Correct. <laughs> your husband, your Correct. your kids, you know, your coworkers, uh, and now as a business owner, your customers and your clients. And, and that that I could use the word maybe authenticity. You're being authentic yeah. to yourself yeah. at the same time as you're then creating those relationships to draw you know, that connection between you and whether it's a client or a customer or a constituent or, a you know, yeah. someone out in the community who's gravitating towards you. Right. So just think about that. Mm-hmm. Are you relatable? Are you likable? Mm-hmm. And are you providing the information that's necessary mm-hmm. and making sure that we're not sharing information that is unnecessary or not correct? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you just, those are those things in life that you, and I always say that to Dr. Chandler, and you probably, you know, think of it as your own um, wise words of wisdom is I always say, surround yourself with even better people. Which is why I'm surrounding myself with you, girlfriend. So. <laughs> well, I think that you do that in your jobs, your careers, but your staff. So when you go and talk about entrepreneurship, you as the owner of the business, you're not the expert in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not the best accountant. You know, I remember when I had, you know, my shoe store, I was not the accountant, you know, but you hired a great accountant because that's their expertise. So you surround yourself with better people that know those areas that you may be not as strong in or your mm-hmm. strength may not be in that area. So mm-hmm. surround yourself with even better people and then everything else falls in place. They make you look great. And then the success is, is risen up as a, as a whole, as a group. As a whole and it's a mm-hmm. team win. Yeah. And hopefully they feel good. 
tell me about, you've got this amazing presence and how you speak and how you're able to communicate um, both publicly. You have a lot of public things that you do. How did that, you know, that's a talent, that's a skill, and not all of us have that. Um, I get up to speak and I'm completely nervous. And if you were to ask me, if you were to do a podcast with me and I didn't know what was going to be asked, I always feel very unprepared. How have you dealt with that? And there are other business owners out there that might have to speak publicly. I guess they're speaking to their their clients, their customers. Um, you could ask something on the fly. How do you, how would you coach somebody? And how have you dealt with being able to communicate effectively, accurately, but on the fly? Oh, good question. <laughs> I think for uh, Dr. Chandler, I mean, I think the first thing is number one: it just takes practice. It really does. So you have to flub it up a lot. You do. To... You really do. And I always, you know. Have you flubbed? Oh, I don't know yes. that I've ever seen you like. No, no, like you do. You know, and I think, you know, in high school, I, I can't imagine and would never have imagined that I'd be speaking at this kind of level and, you know, in different settings and the diverse settings that I've been in. Um, but a couple things. Practice. Know your talking points. So you always have the message that you want to get out. So whatever that message is. You may not necessarily answer that question, but you've communicated what you've wanted to share with them. So you don't necessarily what I don't know, but what I do know, and mm -hmm. so you are not directly saying, I don't know the answer. What I do know, and then Very you're going, wise. that's a nice transition phrase. That is a wonderful transition phrase. Getting it to what you do want to share with them. Mm -hmm. So you're, again, mm -hmm. maybe not answering the question because you don't know the answer and you don't want to say that necessarily. Mm -hmm. But you see, but what I do know is that I am an expert in the field of cataract surgery and this is my background and this is what I want to make sure is safety or whatever that message is that you want to communicate to your client. That is wise. And those very, news very reporters wise. will, and they'll come back. And I've had so <laughs> many of them in interviews that they know I'm not answering the question. So they'll kind of come back around and say, again, I'm going to ask you the question and say, again, I'm going to share with you. Don't give up. You stick the ground and you repeat exactly what you just said. And you it, stay engaged. You stay engaged that. and you're smiling, yeah. you're engaged. And then eventually they're going to stop asking it. So, you, you know, you just don't give up, stay the course and keep repeating yourself because they'll eventually yeah, give one up. One thing that we have never talked about um, on my podcast with somebody is, is how to communicate publicly. So I think this is this is this is really good. How does your history of you and I talked about this, you were like in debate, you know, way back in, in I don't know, if through junior high or high school. Did that help set you up with kind of the. I was never a debater. It always freaked me out that I might get asked a question that I didn't know. Like, do you feel like that helped set you up to communicate? You know, I think a little bit. But actually, we didn't have a debate um, uh, a club in okay. our, you know, I was a small town farm girl. I had 25 kids in my graduating class, 20 boys, five girls. <laughs> the odds were quite, quite favorable if you wanted to say that. But nonetheless. Depends upon which side, side you're on. Right? <laughs> but, you know, but it involved oral interpretation and theater. Yeah. But then also it is a, it is a, um, I took some public speaking skill classes. I would highly recommend that. But just going online and the best, best way is to practice in front of a mirror. I mean, it's it's the old fashioned stand up because if you sit, you tend. We've to been sit. doing that since we were like two or three years old, right? Right, right. entertainment in value, right? Uh, so practice in front of the mirror. You know that body language. They say it's was it ninety three percent is your body language, and only seven percent of what you say is your actually content is what actually is being relayed, and it's a crazy statistic from UCLA. But practicing your body language, 
your eye contact, your tone of your voice. These are all things that we have to consider, especially as women. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important. And where you sit, mm-hmm. how you sit. I prefer standing. You know, it's should just, we be standing? Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Where we're we sitting, sitting down. You know, to our right and I know you're sitting in this beautiful like, and I'm sitting here slouched <laughs> in the chair, all comfy with my friend. <laughs> this is great, Doctor <laughs> Tony. I think that's what you know for those little tips to share with your, your uh, listeners yeah. today. And, and interesting too, to, I was thinking of having a coach, you know, like that might be an area for, you know, someone like maybe that's a coach, you know, those are, those are coachable areas. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable, that's something else to to learn and not be afraid to ask for help. I think you're right. There are, I know CEO coaches that help them with public speaking and messaging mm-hmm. and, you know, talking points. And, and people want to increase their yes. PR presence, yes. Yes, those kind of things. And sound bites. That's the trick too. <laughs> and I do tend to go carry on and on and on, but 15 second sound bites, you know, 30 second sound bites. <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> I was told once the hardest thing to do is to get something said and stated in like 30 seconds, yeah, it's hard. you know, it from a commercial hard. standpoint yes. to that. So Chantal, I think you were one of the most upbeat, positive, vibrant, ambitious, I'll say kick butt women that I know. So <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I feel like you um you make others want to perform better and be better. And I would probably then use the phrase, I feel like you are definitely there to empower people. So I want you to tell us a little bit about how that comes into play with some of the two different yet kind of similar organizations that you're currently yes. working with. Um the Miss America um company and Avera Academy. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm so passionate about both. So thank you for asking. First of all, it's something I'm passionate about. And it's always fun to talk about what is engaging every day and why you get up and go to work. Absolutely. So what is, you know, tell me like, yeah, tell how that empowerment comes into those, those dissimilar yet maybe similar industries? Well, first of all, let's talk about Avera. Avera, of course, a Catholic health mission, and they always want to, their mission is to make a positive impact in the lives and in their communities. So with the Vera Academy, we created a, for seniors in high school, first generation Americans, or someone that has never attended college in their family, an opportunity to take dual credits as a senior at Southeast Tech, and Avera covers that. The same time, then while they're doing that, we're also exposing them that's a, that's a word we should always be careful when we say with, with healthcare, right? We're, we're teaching them and showing them areas. In the world of eyes, yes. it's completely that's fine. Right. There's, there's no issues with exposure in the world of ophthalmology. So we're showing them healthcare careers and opportunities. So yeah. it's those behind the scenes because everybody thinks healthcare is just doctors and nurses which we know almost 80 some percent of the healthcare world is not doctors and nurses. It's all that patient care tech, the support staff, the medical coding insurance, Mm -hmm. all that. So we're creating an environment for them to learn. And again, these being first generation Americans, a lot of them have never been around healthcare or involved or even in a healthcare facility to know. So here we are. It's so fun to be a part of the Avera Academy and create that from the ground up start that. And now we're in our fourth year. And I was just going to ask that yeah. what, what year you're in with mm-hmm. that. So four classes, four classes, and we get them and we have them for the whole school year. They get to be a part of a Vera and in their facilities all year long in the school year, show them these behind the scene moments. They talk to staff, they engage, they ask these crazy questions. And then they figure out at the end of the school year by their senior year, what do they want to go into? And our statistics are as 90 some percent have now gone into healthcare that they might not have ever considered 
because they have never been uh, shown introduced to that yeah. that concept and then we get them into and provide funding and scholarships for them to further whether it be an LPN or a surgery technician I mean all those wow. roles that we need wow. so we're actually helping and support funding them to get into school and then they come back to work for us what have you seen in like that student, let's pick a student, what have you seen within them? Like maybe a success story that you've witnessed? Yes. Oh, Elizabeth West. I can think of her right now. She's a student from Washington High School three years ago, and now she's a rad tech or radiology technician mm-hmm. at Avera. And again, probably would not have gone on, gone on to school because of funding issues or financial concerns. And she would have never considered something like that. She might have just uh, taken the path of gone full-time into a career right out of high school. So she is now, um, I put her through a couple of leadership courses as well that Avera offers. And we know she's going to be that next leader in the healthcare world. In- what happened to, do you, do you have any idea what happened to her like inside? Like yeah. how did, did you, did you see something different in her? I did. That's a good question. I, I didn't get to that heart of it. Right. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, just being appreciative that somebody cared for them and reached out and, you know, really engaged that student. Yeah. And then I got to share a little personal, I call them little tips and trades yeah. characteristics. So every week we'd not only talk about the departments, I say, okay, let's talk about budgeting. Let's talk about driving car in the, in the winter time and not using cruise control. Let's talk about firm handshakes or eye contact. So those character building, those soft skills, mm-hmm. and these students have never heard of those things. And, you know, school's got so much to teach them in math and science, but what we didn't and we don't see as much is that engagement with those soft skills. And I think that's been the fun for me is that they Mm -hmm. walk away as more mature adults, much more ready for the workforce, much more engaged employees, and really a sense of confidence. So when Mm -hmm. you ask me, confidence, engagement, Mm -hmm. understanding what it takes, that you can't take things for granted and that Dr. Tenler has expectations, but to know you have to deliver. Uh, that's that's beautiful. It reminds me of, you know, our our mission here is to see the world better and see yourself better. And I can see that program of like they're seeing the world, you know, better, but they also at the end of the day get to see themselves yes. in a whole new light and in a whole way, new way that is going to lead them somewhere they never knew and was hopefully maybe possible. Well, that's awesome. And their brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully yeah. we're, we're now it. cultivating yes, it and, and the multiplying. next generation yeah. or, or down the line. Mm-hmm. So Many of us tune in to watch, you know, the Miss America competition. I mean, these women are amazingly smart, beautiful, talented um, uh, individuals. What does it take to become Miss America these days? Oh, yeah, I mean, job. the days of swimsuits yeah. are long gone. Yes. Yay. Yes. Um, what What does it take to, you know, and what does that mean today? Mm-hmm. A couple of things. Number one, our mission is to prepare great women for the world and the world for great women. So that's a fun statement. I love that. Isn't that mission. great? I love it. Talk about an empowering mission yes. statement. Second thing is that we actually, um, you know, when we're talking with our judges and looking for our next Miss America, we have a job description and these candidates are applying for a job. That, that yeah. blows. I, I read that yes. and they are, it's a whole different way. Of looking at. And yeah. I think of our listeners who might've thought of, you know, days of old, you know, I'll say competitions, right? It's like, um, this wasn't looked at as necessarily a job. It was, 
And I loved what you said. This is a job and we take it seriously and what those qualifications are. Go ahead. No, that's exactly right. So it's a job. They're applying for the job and then there's expectations. And then we set out those expectations. And then when they apply and the judges meet with them one-on-one or in their interviews or on stage, they're saying, let's see what their resume says, but what's their action plan? They have to submit a marketing plan, an action plan, a strategic with measurements so that they we know what their goals are going to be for the year. It's almost like a mini business. It's a little mini business. It's exactly what it is because their marketing plan is they're promoting, number one, themselves. Number two, their cause. The world of, of Miss America has now shifted towards causes and social impacts. So what are they doing in the community? Most of these gals that compete, there's 5,000 across the country that compete every year. They've volunteered hundreds and thousands of hours in their communities, created websites, started up nonprofits. And they're now the ones that are making differences at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. They're their leaders. And that's what we're looking for is who's got that marketing plan? Are they actually educating and informing America of that issue? And how are they going to do that? And then what is their measurement at the end of the year? Did they actually, and were they successful with the brand Miss America to help them? So the Miss America program helps launch them, provides them a platform to be able to make a difference with their social impact, which are things that they're already doing, right? It could be from human trafficking to cancer awareness to, uh, I mean, just uh, dyslexia, whatever that, that cause that they are passionate about. Their goal is, and our goal is to make sure they're educating and informing to make the changes in America in that area. How has your role now as CEO led to some changes? We we have made some changes. Number one, getting through COVID with a nonprofit. It's like any business. And I'm talking to business owners and entrepreneurs that have had struggles these last couple of years. And that's the same thing for us as a nonprofit. Nonetheless, though, is couple things is looking at the way we do things and shifting that focus. So again, taking away and removing swimsuit competition and shifting to that job description. And we found out just like all of us, that that digital component, that social media component, that messaging had to be, we had to be very agile and very quick to shift to that, to communication on social media. So that was our first focus is the number one, how do we have to shift from being an in-person brand where you see Miss America Mm-hmm. And then during COVID, you can't to being a person that's connected by a Zoom or podcast or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. And then how do we message that to our brand to say, partner with us, align with us, hear us, have them come speak with us or have our Miss Americas or our title holders speak because they've got messages. And guess what? Miss America and other candidates and women, we're the ones that are your future. They're going to be the CEOs. They carry majority of the debt. Think about that. The majority, I think it's 74% of the debt in college right now is is, uh, carried by women. So you now have the burden of the debt being carried by women. And what better way to be a participant in the program Mm -hmm. when we give $5 million away a year, our our program. Miss America gives away $5 million in scholarships a year. That is phenomenal. You were a prior Miss South Dakota um, with the uh, Miss America pageant uh, industry. So how do you think you'd match up today against the women right now? I actually think about (laughs) that quite often, Dr. Chandler. When I see these resumes come across and their speaking abilities, and I love reading their emails, they're very, very eloquent and professional. And I will tell you, if you're a business owner and you see that on their resume, you hire them. These are your overachievers, organized professional, dedicated volunteers. They spend endless hours making sure that they're 
excelling in everything. I mean, these are your top performers and everything. If you see that, get that resume, you hire these gals because they are the ones. So I, when you say stand up, stack up, how would you say, oh, I don't think so. I mean, quite frankly, they are so much more mature and so much more prepared. But our job at the Miss America organization is to make them even more prepared for their next title. Yes. So no, yeah, they whatever might be that missed. title may be, right? It, doctor, yes. attorney, CEO, mom, yes. aunt. Yes. Well, how can we make them more prepared for that next title? That is, and I think of that even to today's students in medical school. Like, golly, I don't know if I would have gotten in if I had to compete today. Who I was, you know, how many decades ago right. with the students of today? Isn't but that interesting? It is. Though? It is different. So I wanted to ask you that. But that's why we're here, though, Doctor Tindler, is that you're that's sharing right. ideas, and that's what we have to think about as women: is how can we help each other? What information can we do? And yes. you're doing that on your podcast. Yes. You're doing that in your business, and that's important. I think people need to see that they recognize that value. And they see that that's that engagement that not every business person does. So what are you doing above and beyond like Dr. Taylor is doing today? You know, what are you doing above and beyond that makes you more connected to your community? So what was your talent? I was a saxophone player. Oh, there you <laughs> go. My husband. I met Mitch, my husband. He's a saxophone player. Yes, he is. Yeah, a very good one. And that's how that's how you met? Yes. I came I came back from Miss America in 97. And he was, of course, on KSFY back in the day. Yes. Everybody, yes, remember. Yes. And uh, he interviewed me. And then uh, Nancy Naves said, you guys need to perform together on saxophone sometime. I did not know this and story. And that Nancy Nave kind of hooked us up, so to speak. <laughs> and there was love at after that, then <laughs> love it for saxophone. It's right. Oh, I love it. So, Shantel, what fuels your desire to give back? I mean, you've got these organizations, you've got your commitment to our state that you've um, done on that level. You had your own business at one time. I mean, what fuels your desire to give back? It's those small wins, those small rewards every day. I mean, I think we can all relate, right? And I think you and I both probably the same, and probably the majority of the listeners, you get up and then you're like, oh, why am I doing this? I got myself too busy. I've said yes to too many things. And it's, I don't have enough time in the day to get your home with kids. You said said yes to a podcast. No, but it's, you know, those are the things. So at the end of the day, it's those small wins or at the end of the week, it's the small wins and you really have to relish them. I, I, I truly do like, what did we, you know, what did we accomplish today? It was a great win that you could say, okay, that was worth it. That was worth that, you know, time to go above and beyond. And then it's even really great when send, somebody sends you a little note or an email or a text and says, that was really impactful or a thank you. The one thing I want to point out at Avera, Avera is great at is sending little thank you notes. If somebody's made an impact or a difference in mm. your day, even if it's a little thing. Mm. And I've gotten several of those little cards and Boy, doesn't that make your day? So all of us, as my mother would say, write a handwritten little note. We all get love getting them, right? We do. So in just the, you know, thing. even a sometimes, although I think handwritten notes are still above text or emails, even having those, though somebody was thinking of you enough to spend a little bit of time just to send something to say thank you. Yes. Even I'm sure in your, you, your you're good at that. You're your, great at that. you know, patients here, clients here, I I tell them, I'm like, you don't know how much this means to to have a thank you because you don't you don't right. always get them, which makes me then look at myself, which I think is any good person. It's like, okay, do I say that enough? Right. Maybe I don't either, and I need to be better. Yeah, that grateful that. and thankful heart. But it's small wins. So go back to your question. I, uh, it's the small wins every day. 
So we've got to reward ourselves. So maybe how do you, how do you reward <laughs> well, yourself? We're just then? talking about what that. Talking about I got a little diet coke here at the, at the table. It's <laughs> her special treat yes. for everybody. We're, we're having diet coke and water. So Dr. Tenler likes her water out of a wine glass, that's and Chantel's right. treat is a little diet coke. That's right. You know, and like you said, what is that reward? But I think you yeah. small wins and a small little reward. So, reward to go with it, and maybe it's just getting home and being at family time with kids. Or you're locking your door on your business that you've been there since six o'clock in the morning and you lock that door and you go, wow, you know what? This is mine. It's a lot of work and oh, but this is mine. Speaking of business, let's go into there. Um, You said that you grew up with a family of entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And you also grew up on the farm. Yes. So what was your entrepreneur background before, you know, as you were growing up and how did that propel you to potentially where you're at today? I tell you what, mom and dad, um, we we are a family of entrepreneurs. My grandfather had John Deere dealership. My other grandfather, a horse trailer business. My dad ran the trucking company. My mom ran the family farm. My brother had, had a car dealership. Ship. So we've all, and I had this shoe store, but what we'll what, get to that shoe yeah, store in exactly. a moment. But the, <laughs> uh, I remember at 10, my brother had a little lawnmowing business when he was 17 and I had to take over his lawnmowing business at 10 years old. I bought a $50 used lawnmower and took over his clients, the cute little Why? ladies. Why did you want to? You know, first of all, it was because it was like you had to. <laughs> the family is a family you business. Had, you just had to step up and do your part. Family business, right? <laughs> but then what was fun is these cute little ladies that you're mowed lawn for, they, afterwards, they wanted you to come in and have like a little juice with them. And that was their time to talk. <laughs> and I'm at 10, 11, 12 years old. Now think about that. The communication skills I gained yeah. was probably aided by talking to, you know, 80 year old little ladies that are by themselves and I'm mowing their little yards for them. It was just most precious memories. When you think back and Bernice and Th- Teresa, I can remember all their little names and Polly, those ladies probably helped shape who I am. So when you talk about entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. it's always been our family. Um, Communication was a key. And back in the day, we had phones that had cords on them, remember? What? <laughs> yeah, cords on right? a phone? We had a 31, a 30-footer cord. I remember on the barn. and you'd well, They have always to, used to get stretched. Stretched, yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. then you'd have to take notes and had to properly take the notes of what the cattle caller was for, you know, to haul my dad's dad would have to haul the cattle. So I'd have to have how many head. And, you know, this is at 12 years old. I'm taking the number of head, how many steers were on that load, what they weighed. It's those you, are skills. Those are skills that, I mean... Those are it's responsibility. Mm-hmm. There's accountability mm-hmm. and, you know, respect for the business that your parents were running. You were learning that and doing that already. You were expected to be, you know, accountable and mm-hmm. and responsible. Pass that along. Really I think, you know, um, for you, Dr. Chandler, with your beautiful little daughter and everybody listening, you know, pass those skills on. I think you need to push children. And, you know, they always have boundaries and they'll push those boundaries, but then setting expectations. That's another thing I've always said, Mm. set your expectations higher and they will get there. So don't let them get off, you know, at a lower level or a different, you know, idea, push them, set the expectations higher, make them do those things that maybe the other kids around them don't have to do, but guess what? It's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. when they graduate from high school. Or- because the next people that they work with and interact with, they're going to be like, like, oh, yes. you know, this child, this person, this human is, 
you know, respectable, they're mm-hmm. accountable, they're responsible, and they've learned that way. And I, I could go on on that a little bit. Maybe we're moving away from that. And I always wondered, you know, I've always had high expectations of myself. And so I also do have high expectations of others. And is that a detriment? Is it not? But I'm like, there's, I don't think there's ever a, a fault of trying to aim real high. I'm so glad you yeah. said that, Dr. Chandler. And you are, you, 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 you and I are very similar as far as probably perfectionist on everything. And our husband's probably like, yeah. oh dear, yeah. I'm married yeah. to this woman. <laughs> it's those, these expectations, right? And you can all smile because yes. we, like, we have yeah. our own little world and little fight them that we like things yeah. a certain way. Yeah. But I always laugh at the, you know, think about that, but okay, that makes the person, but I'm also probably, it drives me. It does. And is it good and bad? There are the things that are bad about it, you know, always having to be on and always having expectations at home and probably the people around you. And that could also mm-hmm. impact your coworkers or your, your employees. So there's that balance. Mm-hmm. And you and I probably have to step back and remember, we value them. Do we show that them enough? Mm-hmm. So valuing people around you and your employees um, and people that help you along the way, do we take the time to value? And I know that's something I definitely have to pause and make mm-hmm. sure um, that I do better at. That's an area that I know I can constantly remind myself to do better at. Trying to improve. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the first times I ever truly met you was at your, uh, you know, your your line of business uh, called the red shoe. Why did you, why did you want to go into business? And what was about that, that drove your passion? Great question too. Again, uh, you know, my whole family, they all had business. So I'm like, I'm going to own a business too. And why and how? Pick shoes out of the blue? Exactly. I mean, out of the red? Yeah, good good question. Um, It was an out of the blue kind of thing. You know, you just, it was something that it was a need. So I did the market research. Yes. Uh, It was a need in the community. Uh, the location back in the day when I opened it in 2005 was downtown. Now, remember, you know, there wasn't a lot of stores downtown. I mean, there was Susan Scott's and Scott Limited and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Trey uh, Finney was across the street. Well, and for but, listeners who are, are local to our area, yeah. um, Chantel had a high-end mm-hmm. shoe store, uh, the first one that our town had. Yeah. And I will say it's the first time I ever got to experience fine footwear um, right out of school. And those are my first pairs of shoes. And I still own several of them really? that, that you have. But tell me more about your story. No, it is exactly right. Um, Dr. Chandler is doing a market need. So we all oh, and I like shoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Oh, by the P.S. We all love <laughs> yes. shoes. Yeah, yes, yes, I really like shoes. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was just figuring out a market need. And that was an untapped market. You know, obviously, women do like shoes. And it was we were getting into that environment where women liked nicer things. And uh, I think, you know, we know that the women are the financial, you know, person in the in the home that we make our financial decisions you know don't rule us out here and it was the time that all those things were mm-hmm. happening and the world was changing in 2005 so market need uh find found a location obviously it's all about location Do you have a shoe passion location i did i did but <laughs> growing up you know we just that wasn't something that we spent money on right Right. Little pair of cowboy boots and your tennis shoes yeah. and a nice little black yeah. heel and that was something for church. Right, that yeah. was it. So I, be, I I adopted that passion in in college, but really just took a leap of faith. Oh. And like we all do in business, yeah. and it's hard. And you know how difficult you're the one that's scrubbing the toilets and yeah. vacuuming the floors. But boy, like I said, the reward is at the end of the day. You get to lock the door and say it's yours. 
What did you learn from that? What's a lesson that maybe, I mean, let's take a hard lesson. Was there a hard lesson that you learned from that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Financial budgeting, <laughs> you know, advertising dollars, you know, mm-hmm. those things. Again, I was new in the marketplace that had never experienced that. So mm-hmm. your market base for that type of price point was very limited. Mm-hmm. So being able to um, you know, uh, balance that, that, okay, you've got a lot of inventory costs that you're carrying. Mm-hmm. You have a very small customer base. It's not a mass quantity product. And then you got to get spending on marketing dollars and advertising dollars back in the day. Remember, I had not even had a website in 2005. We just didn't have didn't, web, you know. Yes. So all those things taken in consideration was okay, is is that something that people can afford and how are you going to sustain it long-term? And that was a challenge. It was, I was, I think I was almost like five years too early in that business. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. really led me, of course, my political career took off one way too, and it was just trying to manage everything. But at the same time, I think I was just a little early to the marketplace, but great growth from it, learned mm-hmm. a lot. And, you know, I appreciate when people, when I was in the legislature talking about how it impacts small businesses and what a government can do to impose or cause more harm or work, I absolutely could relate to that. Whether it be your sales tax reports that you have to fill mm-hmm. out monthly. I mm-hmm. did that myself. I can re- mm-hmm. relate to that and understood how my role as a legislator impacted small businesses. So I felt that was a good you know, those good learning moments for me to do it. That you never knew would be something that would come in useful in the next few years as you were going, you know, through yeah. your your career in our state legislature um, and then secretary of state, all those things like, did you, I mean, probably would have never thought like this would come in handy for totally me to, to understand this, no. but it makes you, again, we talked about authentic and completely relatable. Yes. And well-rounded. That's one thing I feel that also is that, you know, I'm not the expert in every field, but I do feel I'm well-rounded. And so being engaged, you know, like you, Dr. Chandler, you're very involved in the community and you understand the issues that are facing other industries and you're having a podcast and you're learning and sharing that with others. That makes you more successful in what you're going to do and uh, be able to be agile and flexible. How do you feel that, you know, the private sector business and government, I mean, government's a business. Let's talk about the, you know, Miss uh, America organization. It's a business. Um, anything nonprofit is still a business. We all have these, you know, medical field. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel that there, your experience with the government and your private sector, what are some similarities that might've come across that allowed you to lead in both? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I I truly think that government has its role and it's a more limited role is my philosophy at the same time, especially when it comes to business. You got to get out of the way of the business person because you don't know all the, you know, the regulations in the healthcare industry, for example, that you have to um, comply with and it's government imposed. And now is it really helping you um, do the job of delivering great eye care or is it causing more work? So I guess, do I say, is it, do you want me to answer? Is that a rhetorical question? Please answer. Cause I think most people are going to agree with you. Say, yeah, no, is there a place for it? And I think that's the, that's the, um, that fine line. And again, it was really educational for me to be a business owner, to realize that government can sometimes just get in the way. Um, now our government is to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. That is that role is to provide that those, those areas of need and protection, security and national safety and defense. But when it comes to business, I'm going to go back to that. 
it's hard. And I think that the government just needs to get out of the way as best we can, yet providing safety for those that are involved or have uh, engaged in a business with a business person, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it be like you said, a patient, you know, how do you balance that? So when I say they intersect, I don't know. I kind of put them in two different columns. Mm -hmm. There's the role of government. And then there's definitely the role of business and where you can flourish. Do you feel government as a business? Because we talk about, you know, balancing budgets and neutrality and all these things. I mean, there still needs to be, does the government think of itself as a business or does it not? Or is it not just like a all. free-for-all? <laughs> no. Like, what? like, I just, like <laughs> you know, it's like in my mind of business, you've got to have expenses, you've got income, but you still need to balance those. When I was, Whether it's your household, it's your, you know, like. Yeah, you are. You're hitting something that's very close to my heart. When I was secretary of state, that was one of the things I did is I first for the first time in any department in government, I zero based budget. Yeah. Yes. So like zero based budget. I had the 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 the, the um, uh, appropriations in, in the investment council and the uh, finance staff was asking, what do you mean zero based budgeting? I'm thinking that's what business does every day. You start from scratch in your budget and you don't just take the budget from last year and then add to it like government. You start from scratch. So I zero based my budget in the secretary of state's office and I cut, you know, millions out of that. And that's where I think, you know, my business background helped me. And then I challenged other state departments to do the same thing. But zero based budgeting um, is not something that you hear in government. No. Um, again, they take budgets and then they grow them from year to year or, you know, it, the legislature's got to control and rein in departments mm-hmm. that are spending. And that's what that appropriations committee does. But when you ask that question, um, look at what businesses have to do. Why are you know, governments not doing the same thing? And my famous saying, I think I got quoted a lot in, when I was secretary of state, is that we need to operate at the speed of business, not at the speed of government, because we handle all the business filings in that secretary of state's office. We transact business filings. So don't delay business filings. So let's operate at the speed of business, not the speed of government. It's one of my favorite sayings because government is just so slow. And it was so frustrating for me to have to work in that environment. Very frustrating. So ah, is that a sense of relief when you could kind of get away from that and that mentality in my staff? I truly changed the mentality in the staff. So like, do you foresee yourself ever entering back in government? You know, you never say never. No, you never. And yeah, you, you're, you you're young. It's like you you never say. And I say that just right. like the question of like, will you ever own another business? Maybe. Right. Same, that's a great comparison. Is that yes, maybe I would open up a shoe store again. You know, it's it's something that you can't say never um, because it, it's all about timing and the right time in your life and also the needs. I do like to solve problems. I am considered a problem solver. So, and not just small problems. I mean, these are big problems that you're solving. Right. These are like you get called in to solve big issues and start big things. Yes. Why? Why do they look at you for that? Well, first of all, we're women. No. <laughs> Can I just say that right now? No. Yeah, I always say that a woman just needs, knows how to get in there and, and also try to diffuse any, you know, confrontation. You just let's just get the job done. So. That's always been my mentality growing up with the entrepreneurial environment. And I think anybody that's listening probably can relate to that. It's like, you just want to get the job done because you have to, whether it be at your mom, your, your home and being a mom and got to get the kids to soccer and have food ready to go and, you know, to bed and their homework done. Those are all things that have to be done. It's the same thing that you apply in government. Um, it's the same thing you apply in business. So going back to your original question is that 
you know, you, you do just dive in. And also my last comment on that question is that I may not have been asked, but I raised my hand because I said I wanted to change it. I do not like things that happen the same way every year. So look at your business. Look at how government is. Is that the way we did it last year? I call it Sally. Is it the same as last year? Hey. So Sally, is Sally in your office? Is Sally in your government you know, building? Is Sally at home? Should we be looking at it differently? And I'm the type of person that raises the hand said, no, there's way better ways. I'm going to start using that in Sally. my office. Yeah. They're because like, who is Sally? We're, we're never going to have Sally around here. It's <laughs> never going to be the same as last year. It's always going to be different simply because it has to be. Right. Like, we, we, things change. They're new. There's new staff. There's new thoughts. There's new techniques. There's new like everything. Or we're just not doing it the best efficient, effective way. Totally. So, so Sally. So when somebody says good. Sally and your, and your listeners are at home are saying Sally, they're all like, who's this Sally? Same as last year. Let's get rid of it. Or maybe you just have to change it just a bit, but let's revisit it. Yes. <laughs> yes. What's one of the um, best pieces of constructive criticism you've ever been given that's helped you? Oh, Might have been hard, but helped. Yes. Um, nothing's ever obvious. I had a doctor tell me one day when I was communicating, and I said, obviously, he said, no, nothing is ever obvious. And you'll remember that. I never forget oh. that. So watching your words. Um, the next thing is best words advice is to take time and appreciate those around you. Because I think as a doer, which I am, I get wrapped up in just getting something done and I might not show the appreciation. So it's a good reminder to keep my head down and thank those around us. As our good Lord says, praise and thanksgiving and gratefulness. But beyond that, let's make sure I'm communicating that versus just on my mission of getting something done. And then yeah. when it's done, you quickly move to the next thing yes. and it's it's over and, and you're already on to the next, yeah. next thing versus... Did, did we show that appreciation? Is there something that occurred that helped you learn that? I'm trying to think if there's a specific example, I'm not drawing anything right off the top of my head right now, but just there's been several instances. It's just mm -hmm. in the Secretary of State's office as I just mm -hmm. had to, they, they were expected, I expected my staff to move very quickly and there was times that I thought, oof, you know, I got to slow down and let them take a breath, mm -hmm. you know. So um, it was those self, I do a lot of self checks, you know, self checking time. Was that the right thing? Should I have done it differently at the end of the day? You know, I always review my emails and my text messages. And I, I get that list done. Should I have done something? And then that's usually at 1030 at night when you and I are both winding down and we, oh, crap, I should have sent that, you know, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't say I that didn't say that. And oh, right. how am I going to correct? How am I going to correct that? You know, I should have sent a nice little note the next day. So mm -hmm. I think revisiting as well. But then you've got to really balance because every day you always want to add one more thing. And oh, it's a lot. Yeah. You know. So how do you keep it from being a lot? Mm. How do you keep yourself in check and balance. Mm, I am a multitasker. You are definitely and you're yes. go, go, go. And you're, I mean, yeah. we look at you from the outside as this ball of energy, mm -hmm. this fire that lights things up. But how do you keep that? Yeah. How do you keep that balance? Well, first of all, I like to get up early in the morning and walk outside and it could be 20 below and I'm bundled up with my little earmuffs and my big bomber hat, as my husband calls me, and he can barely see me in my snow pants. And just yeah. first of all, that fresh air, yeah. um, I really take in that fresh air. And then that's when I do a lot of my thinking. 
So for me, that balance is first thing in the morning, going out, doing my walk, you know, see the prayers and then go, okay, what's my to-do list? Uh, and then in your mind, kind of knowing what you need to get done. And at the end of the day, I also try to get a quick little walk outside too, mm-hmm. just really quick. We have headlamps, the coal miners, little headlamps, headlights on. It takes you longer to get dressed than it does to go for a walk. It's like ridiculous. (laughs) That's only in the winter, everybody. Right. In the summertime, it's easy. Now it's getting darker earlier. It can't go up. But so (laughs) for me, it's outdoors. So when you ask me, how do I disconnect Mm -hmm. or reconnect? Mm -hmm. It's nature. Yeah. Connect to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, It's nature for me. Being outside, Mm -hmm. animals, you know, growing up with horses and cats, you know, just... Mm-hmm. You know, keeping ourselves grounded, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. Um, with dirt and grass and trees and animals. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really how I stay grounded. But then I also feel like I'm a multitasking because while I'm walking, I'm also getting my day planned, right? Exactly. So, yeah, doing exercise, right. plus we're planning right. the day, plus we're problem solving. Exactly. So it's, it's a woman's mind. Mm-hmm. It's a woman's mind. And I think a lot of women can relate to that. They're constantly spinning the wheels 100 miles an hour. I love your your mantra of you're a problem solver. I love solving puzzles. I love you know maybe not the grand puzzles that you're you're solving, but there's always puzzles to be solved. There's always you know like I look at problems as puzzles. It's like what it's all the information. How can we solve this to the best of our ability? Yeah. So. And taking leaps of faith. I mean that's a true testament of you. Well, I was going to ask you yeah, about. I mean a lot of these things that you've done. You said you just raised your hand. It's mm-hmm. like I've raised my hand. I look at that as being very brave. I mean, I, I feel like that's a brave thing to do because not everybody, number one, is wants to raise their hand and everybody cares, but people are scared to raise their hands. Um, do you like realize that you're brave doing that? Or if yay, that's great. And then how do you help other people see their bravery? Ooh, that's a really good question, Dr. Chandler. Um, first of all, yeah, and there's times that I think, why did I do this? Because there's always going to be the failures. I mean, you know, we all <laughs> why did I raise my hand? And I'm not going to succeed. You know, it's like kind of like taking on Miss America during COVID. You know, 92% drop in revenue, and I'm thinking I'm going to crash this 100 year old organization that's been an iconic brand. And you know, you take it on, but you know, it's grit and the people around you, and you change the way you do things in a business, and it survives just like everyone had to in COVID, you know, you learn. But um, how do I encourage bravery others? I, I've just shared with my students at the Avera Academy. Again, I always tell them, you, you got to do the things that no one else wants to do. If you really want to just get ahead just a little bit or do something a little different, you've got to do the things that no one else wants to do. And I've always lived by that. I think my mom and my dad have instilled that in with me and, and um, encouraged me and failures along with it. Um, running for my first legislative seat for District 10, I didn't win, you know, and so, but I stuck my neck out, did it, mm-hmm. and boy, you learn from it. So that's the same thing, I think, mm-hmm. for everybody. I always tell us, oh, you know, awesome. think about that. Is there things that I'm doing that no one else wants to do? And that's maybe a market opportunity or a business opportunity, or it's mm-hmm. a family opportunity, or it's a community involvement opportunity. Do you do these things that nobody else wants to do because you really want to do them, or you just see the need that it needs to be done? Both. Both. Okay. Yeah. I, I when, you, when you look back, like, why? And then, you, know, you think, but at the end of the day, a year or two later, it all comes collectively back together. And it's just like, oh, look at what I learned from this. And now I'm able to apply that in that next issue or whatever 
challenge I'll take on. So it's those learning moments that I got to look back now it might take a little longer <laughs> to get there. They, they are They're They only propel you to what your next journey is supposed to be. Right. And you can never take away a learning moment, positive or negative. Yes. I got to remember that. What do you believe some of the qualities for, you know, you're definitely a leader in our state, our community, um, nationwide, um, being past entrepreneur. What do you see as some of the best qualities for those entrepreneurs, those leaders? Like, here's what I've seen with all my different areas that I've been involved with, with big businesses, Mm -hmm. small businesses. What would you say? I, I think I go, go back to the few sayings that I've shared with you is that a good leader always surrounds herself with even better people or himself or with that's better a, people. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's I, a good reminder. I do. And I kind of go back to George Bush, you know, you know, you had Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice and, you know, I mean, Cheney. I mean, you know, was he the best president, but he had really great people around him. I mean, think about that. So I think it's the same thing as are we surrounding ourselves with the right people that maybe have mm. the strengths where we don't have mm. Okay. So that's a piece of advice and what I've kind of lived by. Uh, Whether qualities, uh, again, it's probably doing the things that no one else wants to do. I'll reiterate that again, because when you're a business owner, you're meeting a demand or a market that has not been done, or you're in a competitive market to, you know, compete and provide another service or product. So those things, I think you have to be at the same time. I think, um, uh, the last thing would be just, you got to be realistic. You know, I think that's for women. We sometimes set our goals pretty high and lofty. And, uh, but again, if you're not going to set your goals high, you're never going to even get close. It's a fine line, right? It's that, I tell, I tell, you know, there's always aim, aim for perfection, but you know, if you achieve excellence, you may not be in perfection, but you've achieved excellence. And Good so let's, way. let's go for this or we're never going to be even close to excellent if we're not aiming for that perfection. No, I know it's not reality. You've got the saying exactly. No, it's, you're right on. And so, yeah, you just got to do it. And um, well, whatever happens, happens. There's always a reason for it and you learn from it. Good or bad. Good or mm-hmm. bad. Um, last thing I'm I'm going to ask you, we've already, you know, talked a lot about, um, you know, business, um, big, small, and some of your own personal techniques for, you know, I say seeing yourself better, seeing the world better. Um, what, you know, what would you say at the end of the day, this is what I'm most proud of mm-hmm. something that I like, whether, whether you look at an achievement accomplishment and you've got so much more you're going to do over your lifetime, but like to date, like, God, I'm so glad that I was involved in this. I'm really mm. proud of this. Oh, good point. Um, I think I start with my little lawnmowing business, and I know I go back to that, but that really shaped me who I was. Yeah, yeah I love those ten, childhood experiences. Yeah, 10 and years how old. And, and here I'm running a little business, you know, with 20 some little lawns getting paid $4 a, a month or a lawn on the. I mean, think about that. That was in 1970, I was 73, so in 1983. And, uh, but those are those moments. Uh, I also, so that's going to go like, you know, that's going to go like spread like wildfire. Chantel yeah. is most proud of her. <laughs> lawn lawn exactly. <laughs> I have to say that on the South Dakota too, because what that did was launch me into other things. So winning Miss South Dakota, first of all, paid for my entire college education at Dakota State University. And again, I'm a farm family. So I was the first one to attend college in my family paid for by Miss America. And then it 
I've got a husband out of it. You're great. I get to meet. I get get to meet Saxophone playing husband out of that deal. But then it also provided all those networking opportunities and learning that Mm -hmm. what you did that year, you had to develop your own skill sets. And it's provided those skill sets that have now shaped me today, whether it be public speaking, networking, Mm -hmm. understanding and listening to people and seeing the needs across the state. I get to visit every corner and how the diverse culture and challenges in every part of the, you know, literally every corner of the state made me a better elected official. So it, yeah. it just all kind of snowballed into. Off of some of those times where you raised your hand. Yep. There you go. You raised your hand to say, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I think, I think I can. Absolutely. So that's our message for the day. That is our message. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. (laughs) So with that, thank you for raising your hand today to agree to come um, be an amazing guest on my podcast. Thank you for being my friend, um, encourager and champion. And um, may we continue to do that for each other and for others out there. Absolutely. Amen. My pleasure. And those listening. That's what it's all about is communicating and sharing your story. And hopefully we've made an impact as Dr. Tindler does every time she's on her podcast. A great message. Everybody's, you know, go back and watch some of those other ones. I sure have. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chantel. Great. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.